So we're going to spend most of our time in 2 Kings 5 tonight. But let's start with verse 38, which really is a continuation of last week's lesson. And so really just needs to be, uh, there just needs to be, it's like a continued teaching. And verse 38 is, I think, either the fifth or the sixth miracle that Elisha, I think it's the sixth or the somewhere between five and seven of Elisha's miracles, not to be con, uh, confused with Elijah. So verse 38 says, And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to the servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. And so the theme that we've been in for the, uh, since Elisha took the mantle of prophetic authority from Elijah is faith is action, and when God requires that we act by faith, uh, he always has us doing something. Uh, A classic example is the Jordan River. It did not part until the priests stepped into the river, which they were told to do. They could have said, well, we can't step in the river. We can't. <laughs> There's a river. Uh, but they were told to step in the river, and it part- parted. And so we have seen a series of miracles, all of which required God's people to do something, and then God comes in and moves in power. And, and, and this is just the Lord's design of how a relationship with him works. He wants to bring you in into what he is doing in the world. And so we rarely does he ever require um, or tell us just sit back and do nothing. Uh, he, it, it's always, um, it, it, almost always, he's, he's telling us go out, take this step of faith, that step of faith. And so here it's just there's a famine um, there's a, a famine, and he needs to uh, feed. Uh, th- uh, there's a prophetic school there in Gilgal, and, which is the Gilgal is the place where the Israelites came to first, right after they crossed through the Jordan. After the Jordan had separated, the Israel went, Israelites went through on dry ground and, and, and camped out in Gilgal. And so they were, even though there was a famine, uh, someone's going out into the field to get food. And, and so uh, that's not a hard thing to do, uh, not, not an easy thing to do. Why go out into the field and get anything to eat? There's nothing out there. There's a famine. But they, 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 um, this one fellow did put some stuff in the, uh, in the, in the stew. Uh, something was wrong with this gourd, and, and uh, whatever a gourd's like a pumpkin type of thing. And uh, they said, "Wait, there, there, there's death in the pot." You know, guys, don't don't say that when you taste your your wife's um, wife's stew. I got to tell you, last Wednesday night uh, when I had sancocho made by Arellas, there was no death. There was only life in that pot. I mean, that was incredible. And so and, I, and so, uh, uh, but but here, there's death in the pot. And so he says, then bring some flour again. Uh, faith is required. They go out and they, they, they get the flour, bring to him, uh, and, and the food is, um, in this time of great famine, uh, the, the, it's healed, if you will. There's nothing harmful in the pot. And then another, uh, another miracle here in verse 6, uh, then a man from Baal Shalisha uh, brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 
20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack and said, give it to the people that they may eat. And so uh, that word first fruits, I challenge you to do a study in the Bible of the word first fruits. It's an important um, term because God wants our first fruits of everything. He wants our first fruits of our, of our time. He wants our first fruits of our um, uh, he wants our first fruits of our of our money and our increase, and he, um, and and that's because it's a healthy thing. That's how we. Uh, are, that's how our heart stays fresh. That's how we live by faith, giving him the first uh, of the things that we have. And so um, uh, he brings the first fruits, uh, which meant he's he's really here. Apparently, it's it's his way of giving to God because he's giving to Elisha, and. Um, Verse 43 says, but his servant said, what shall I set this before 100 men? I mean, there's not enough. There's, you know, 20 uh, uh, loaves of bread for 100 men. He said, again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them and they ate and some left over according to the word of the Lord. So again, he, he takes the bread. We've seen this in the book of Mark. Um, first with 5,000 men, not including women and children, and then in the book of Mark with 4,000 men, not including women and children. Je Jesus has his disciples do the same thing. Yeah, uh, uh, go, take what I've given you, and it will be multiplied. Again, uh, what he's telling you and he's telling me, I'm going to be telling you to do some things in your life, and so that my power so that I get the glory, it, 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 it's going to require that um, you take steps of faith, but even in your um, weak steps of faith, um, I, I will show myself strong, and I will, I will take your fish and loaves, and I will multiply it. I will take your few fish and loaves, and I will multiply it. And so Jesus, of course, outdoes this, uh, incredibly outdoes it. Here they... They, um, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it, it talks about the first couple of chapters of the book of Hebrews are all about how Jesus is greater than the prophets. Well, there's a story that talks about that. This is one of them. Uh, with 20 loaves of bread, he feeds 100 people, and there's some left over. But Jesus feeds 5,000 men, not including in women and children, which probably means there was over 10,000 people. He was indeed greater than the prophets. In the Islam faith, they do believe that Jesus was a prophet. So they will listen to what you have to say about what Jesus says. There are limits to that because if it contradicts something that they believe, and they'll say, oh, well, that part of the Bible's corrupted. But they, they do respect him um, as a prophet. So faith is action. Let's go to chapter 5. Now, again, I think I said this in the opening prayer. I've, I, I, I don't know which chapter I've taught more, 2 Kings 2 or 2 Kings 5, many, many, many times, including several times on Sunday morning, each chapter, 2 Kings 2, which is about what? What is 2 Kings 2 about? Someone shout it out. The Holy Spirit. This chapter, chapter 5, is about what? Grace. That's right. And we can hardly have more teaching, right, than about the Holy Spirit and also of grace. That's why, I mean, 2 Kings, this incredible book, just within a few chapters. And... Uh, I, I, I don't know. The, the, I, I, am, I get so encouraged by this chapter as much as any chapter in the, any story in the Bible outside of the cross, of course, and not, the, 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 the cross is unparalleled. This is one of the most marvelous descriptions of grace, the grace of God and salvation and how to be saved, how a man, any man, any woman is saved. It's the story of Naaman. Before I get into chapter 5, I just want to re remind you of our working definition of grace at Calvary Chapel, and I'm sure it didn't originate with us, but grace means when you deserve a punishment and you get a reward. 
which is mercy is a subset of grace. It's important that you understand what mercy is. It's a subset of grace, but grace is so much greater than mercy. Mercy is when it's, it's, it's for example, it, it's a pardon, meaning you've done something wrong and you're pardoned. So think of a prisoner in prison. They've done something wrong. Even if they admit they've done something wrong, if a judge pardons them, that is mercy. Grace is when the prisoner leaves the prison and he's given a check for $625,000. He deserved a punishment and he gets a reward. Now that is so confusing and messed up to us and turned on its head, it, it really takes a lifetime to really get and understand what that means. But the Bible has these stories, and one of them is here in, in 2 Kings 5. Now, of course, the cross is the greatest example of grace. We deserved a punishment and instead, we are rewarded. We're actually called co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We're seated with him in the heavenlies. We're, we're, we are abundantly uh, blessed with, uh, uh, with his joy, his peace, um, his, uh, all, the, all the things that Jesus enjoys. Um, the Bible says, in, on, uh, it says in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, um, he who did not spare his own son, how will he uh, not, uh, together with him, freely give us all things? In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, Paul says to the Corinthians, all is yours. And, and, and so, grace, we deserve a punishment and we get a reward. I tell you, I was in, uh, I can't help but do this. I was in uh, Luke chapter 15 this morning, the prodigal son one of the most wonderful stories of grace. Remember the prodigal son, uh, he asks for his inheritance before his dad dies. His dad gives him his inheritance. He goes and wastes it on prodigal living, meaning wasteful living, according to his older brother, on prostitutes and other things. It all is wasted. He goes and joins himself to someone and is working, feeding the swine, and then he wakes up, and he, he says, what am I doing here? I can go back to my father, and I can, uh, uh, I, I, even if I, he, I, he hires me as a servant, I'll be better than what I am now. He goes back, his father spots him from afar off, goes to him, runs out to him, puts his arms around him, showers him with kisses, and then hears he deserves a punishment. And what does he get? Verse 22 of Luke 15. But the fa father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let's eat and be married. Now, of course, the older son was not happy with that. And oftentimes... Uh, we, we all have a piece of a Pharisee in our heart that when we see grace given to someone else, it makes us really unhappy. Wait a second. This is not fair. That's right. It's not fair. Grace is never fair. Grace is when we deserve a punishment and instead we get God's best robe, a ring on our finger, finger, sandals on our feet, and a fattened calf in order to make merry on. And so with that, grace... Let's learn something about grace here. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And if you're taking notes, you, you just write down, but a letter. You underline, but a leper. And so there are so many parallels here uh, with, with grace. And I guess the first one um, I'd like to bring up here it, 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 it is this. 
It says that um, Naaman was a, a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, and so is every human being that has ever lived in the sense that they were created in the likeness of God. They're created in the likeness of God. And as a result, they have an amazing capacity for greatness. And we dis discuss discussed this a few Sundays ago. God puts the desire for greatness in us. Not great greatness in terms of being greatness in comparison to someone else, uh, but great in terms of doing something great for God and glorifying him. In that sense, we are like Naaman. We are great and honorable in a sense because we have been made in the likeness of God. But it says, but Naaman was a leper, but you are a sinner. But you are a sinner. So every single human being, though they... Uh, have the capacity for greatness, and, and everyone in this room, you have the capacity for greatness. There is a but at the end of the sentence describing you, but you're a sinner. Now, that's not a small thing, because sin, like leprosy, is a death sentence. Now, today, Hansen's disease, it can be arrested, meaning it can be stopped. It cannot be cured. But at this time, it was a death sentence. Sin is a death sentence. There are, uh, there's no um, exceptions to that, just like leprosy um, was. Uh, both, uh, interestingly, in the Bible, leprosy is always cleansed. It's not healed. You, you, you can't heal yourself of sin either. No such thing. Can't, no one's healed of sin. By faith in Jesus Christ, you can be cleansed of sin. That means there's no more sin in you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, you are blameless before God in love when the blood of Jesus washes you. But, 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 but like leprosy... It cannot be healed. It must be cleansed. A real interesting thing about leprosy, it progresses very slowly until the point that it deadens your... Uh, what's go, what, what goes on with leprosy? It deadens your nerves. And so some of you have heard this before because I've taught this message many times, but... Uh, but 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 leprosy. What it does, you see leprosy, leper, uh, lepers with their fingers. Uh, they don't have fingers. They don't have eyebrows. They they may have the tip of their nose uh, fall off. And what happens there? It's not really the leprosy that does that. It's the fact that leprosy kills your nerves. And so then you'll get a cut on your finger. You won't know there's a cut on your finger. And after a while. Uh, infection will set in, then gangrene, and then it has to be amputated. Sin is like that. Sin is pleasurable for a season. You, you, you can start off and run in sin. It's like, yeah, this is incredible. I mean, I grew up being told that fornication uh, is really going to do damage. There's no damage. I'm loving this. I'm loving this getting drunk. I'm loving the weed or uh, drugs, whatever. But over time, all of a sudden, and sometimes it's years, a leg, you know, a finger will fall off, or a nose will fall off, or toes will fall off. And it's the same, the same thing. Uh, it, it so happens, I'm, uh, I'm trying, doing my best, it's really a struggle to memorize Ephesians chapter 4 now, just... just Today was um, in verses 18 or 19. It says this, in verse 17, it says, I, 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 I therefore, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk in the rest of, walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And then in verse 19, it says, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness 
to work all on cleanness and greediness. And so this, that's what sin does to you. After a while, you know, you, you sin the first time, and, and you may have some guilt there, and then you, th- you sin the second, the third, and the fourth, there's a little less guilt, until finally there's no feeling left. And, and, and similar, to, similar to, to leprosy. So the, uh, the parallels, really, really interesting. He was a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And so let's see what happens here. Verse 2 says, And the Syrians... I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Right in the middle of verse 1, it says, By Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Notice, the Lord had given victory to Syria, the enemy of the children of God. So the Lord does this sometimes. The children of Israel were in rebellion at at, at the time. So he goes to a pagan nation and uses a pagan general, meaning pagan, meaning someone who doesn't even doesn't follow God or really even know God. It just follows their own gods. And it says, he, by him... The Lord had given victory to Syria. He literally, the Lord called Naaman, you've got to come here and attack my people because they're in such sin, I need to chasten them. And the Lord does that. He's faithful to chasten. So uh, he went and got a young, a young girl, uh, or, or the, the Syrians did, and took her back as a slave back in the land of Syria. So took her from the land of Israel, and now she's a slave in Naaman's family. Verse 3, then she said to her mistress, this is a slave girl, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Now we're going to see a couple things here which really prove verse 1 right, that he was a great and honorable man. When your slave girl wants you to be healed, you're you're doing pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, you, it it means that he was apparently a kind man, an honorable man, and she wants to see her master healed. Verse four. And Naaman went in and told his master. So Naaman heard this from the slave girl, and then he, uh, or from his uh, from his wife. And then he goes to the king of Syria, verse 4, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Verse 5, Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And so... Generals are not easy to come by. Good, good outstanding, rather good outstanding generals um, are uh, not easy to come by. I think it was last year Guillermo and I went through a book on General Patton um, in World War II, and I got to tell you, the things that that man did, uh, the the giftings that God gave that guy in order to to bring the Allied forces of victory were shocking. And, and, and so General Patton's and Naaman's, they don't just come around any day. And so uh, take with yourself 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Now there's another, there's a message here about grace. This is what we do to try to earn our cleansing, to cleanse us of our sin. We try to pay God for it we, we, through, through works, through trying to get better, through trying to read the Bible, through trying to go to church, trying to be in prayer meetings, trying to do whatever, be philanthropists. This is how mankind does it. Get 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing, and go to God and, and, and try to purchase your salvation. It doesn't work like that. Verse 6, sorry, then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Remember, this guy's a coward and a sinner. And the Bible does say that 
the wicked flee when no one even chases them. And so this is an example of, of that. This is one of Ahab's... I, I, are we at Ahab or are we beyond Ahab now? Uh, I can't remember. But um, I think it's one of Ahab's um, uh, sons here. Could be wrong about that. But uh, the king of Israel... Then he brought the letter of the king of Israel, verse 6, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. So the king misreads it and thinks he himself, the king, is supposed to heal Naaman of his leprosy, and he freaks out. Let's read that. Verse 7, and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? This man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me, meaning I'm being tricked here. There's, there's something going on here, and he is trying to set me up with a trap. Verse 8, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Uh, and this is, by the way, grace and mercy as well. The king does not deserve to have Elisha or anyone else come to his rescue, but Elisha's still sent to the king. Look, there is a God in Israel, king of Israel. Would you repent? Would you see that God still cares about you? He's not going to succeed. He's going to succeed with many other things, not with bringing repentance to the king of Israel. Verse 9, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Verse 11, but Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So two things going on here. Number one, Amazingly, I mean, Elisha is, the guy is a stud, right? You have the second most powerful person in the whole region coming to your house, and he doesn't even go outside to meet him. He sends his messenger, uh, Gehazi, to him. And uh, th th there's a whole sermon there. I won't give it to you, but he's trying, th this, is, this is an attempt He's not really successful here to let Naaman know there's nothing really about me, Elisha the prophet. It's God who has the power. I don't have the power. And so oftentimes we exalt the messenger, the pastor, to the place of God himself, and that always leads to a multitude of problems, particularly when the pastor falls into sin or is imperfect and then really messes with uh, people's heads. And so he's furious. It says here at the beginning of verse 11, indeed I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, but he doesn't come out to him. He sends his messengers. And the second issue was, he tells me to go to the Jordan River? And I, I, I did put the the, the Jordan River into Google Images. I suggest that you do that. It's, 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 it's barely even a river. It, 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 it's um, a lot of it. It's like this red carpet here, uh, the, the, up in uh, up in the aisle here. It's very very narrow. That's it's a lot of it is just muddy. Why, why is he 
asking me to go to the, the Jordan River. Why is it that this preacher is telling me all I need to do is be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, that's ridiculous. And that's humiliating. I'm a, I'm a rich, powerful man. That may be, you know, for drunks and drug addicts. They, they do that weird kind of stuff, especially since they've accumulated all their terrible sin. But I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. I've been a good father. I've been a, a good uh, CEO of a company or whatever. I've, I, I've been a good uh, husband. And you're telling me in order to be cleansed, I need to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ? He couldn't accept something, salvation could be this simple. Verse 13, I love this. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? And so once again here, we're seeing here that this guy Naaman, he really was a great and honorable man. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had his own servants come up to him and tell him, hey, listen, this guy's incredibly powerful. And power is very intimidating. And many, many powerful people, people are terrified to just go up to him and say, hey, look, you're not looking at this right. And again, it shows that he really was a great and honorable guy. He has people around him coming and, and saying, look, well, listen to this guy. We, we came all this way, and what he's asking you to do is not a hard thing. And it's like this with salvation. You, you're trying to tell me it's this simple. You, you mean a person can live like a dog their whole life. They can live the prodigal, wasteful life. They can lie, cheat, and steal, fornicate, uh, uh, have you know multiple marriages and 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 many many mistresses and 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 they can just steal from people and then at the very end of their life they trust in the blood of Jesus and they're saved. Oh yeah, right. Grace does look absurd many times when we consider it. How can it be that easy? Now I say. I, I, I'm sorry, how can it be that simple? I say it's simple. It's not easy. That's very important. I say it's simple. It's not easy. Why? It really does. You need to count the cost before coming to Jesus Christ. Grace is not cheap. Jesus says before a king goes out and meets another army with twice as many people, he's got to sit around and count the costs. Because God really does want everything. Otherwise, that's what making Jesus your Lord means. It means everything. So it's simple. It's, it's very, very simple. It's not, it, it, it's not that easy, though. And it wasn't easy for a man of this stature in front of everyone to make himself a complete fool and obey some guy who wouldn't even come out to talk with him. To go and dip and look, in the, look like a complete fool. He's used to getting medals and, and uh, uh, rewards in, in Syria for all his battles. And I'm going to do this? It was not an easy thing. It was simple, but it wasn't easy. Salvation is like that. Verse 14, this is such a wonderful verse. Oh, man, I love this verse. So he went down, and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Though your sins are red as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Simply by faith, in the life, death, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. And again, Ephesians 1.4. We, we go from being covered in the muck of our own sin, which we could never be cleansed of, in a hundred lifetimes of good works, to being blameless before God in love. He went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, this is important because this is, appears to be a real salvation here. I think commentators are, uh, you know, they debate about whether Nebuchadnezzar was saved, Cyrus, and some of these other people who, who acknowledge that Yahweh was God. But notice here, he, sept, he says there's no God in all the earth. Now, that's exceptional right there. Now, Freddie was out with, um, were you with Alicia or so, you were with, uh, with Fanny? I don't remember who you were with the other night, but you were speaking, or with Santa, you were speaking with someone um, who came from the Hindu religion, and at the end of the gospel presentation, they're like, yeah, man, I want to I accept Jesus as Lord. Um, but it became clear to Santa and Freddie that Jesus was just going to be one in a pantheon of other gods, and so they said, no, we can't do that. There's only one God, and 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 so and I've seen this with um, with folks who are uh, from Hindu Hinduism, other Eastern pantheistic, pantheistic kind of religions. But this is there is one God. He, he he says, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. No. Consider, too, this is important, that at the time, Israel was, a, they were just, Naaman beat up on them, he trotted all over their country, he stomped all over them. And, you know, many times throughout history, Christian, the Christian um, community looked like that. They were just a, you know, a, a, a persecuted embattled minority with nothing about them that looked, oh yeah, go and follow that God. <laughs> but Naaman here, it's obvious to him what's going on. I mean, it may have been confusing to him. Why is it that I have been able to defeat this country when they have the only God in all the world? It must have been a little confusing to him, but he was granted repentance and faith to salvation here. He was granted repentance and faith to salvation. Verse 16. So remember, at the end of verse, at the end of verse 15, he, he says to Elisha, Therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Why do, you, why do you suppose that Elisha refused to take anything? So we're back in Sunday morning in the Longwood Hall. Time for you to answer questions. Why do you suppose he refused to take any money? Nadia, you always have some. Come on. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Okay, that, that's good. What, what was the last thing you said? That's right. God's grace is free. So if he, if he accepts payment, and, and there's a ton of money here. This is not a, 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 a corrupt televangelist. Remember what this guy had? Ten talents of, uh, of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. But if he takes the money, then there might be some part of Naaman that goes, you know, I paid something for that. But he refuses to do it. 
He says, as surely as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Verse 17. Okay, this is, this is I'm telling you, this chapter is about grace. And it just continues. It just continues here. This is so powerful. These, couple, these next few verses have really confused a lot of people, but I, I really feel like it's, again, it's simple. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. That's, this verse also is where we know that Naaman's really saved here. I'm not going to worship any other god. And he wants to take a couple mule loads of earth back from Israel to, uh, to, to, to basically stand down and kneel and, and bow down to the Lord. Verse 18, yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimmon. Remember his master is the king of Syria who was a pagan. He worshipped for, uh, uh, foreign gods, including this guy, this uh, deity, this false deity, Rimmon. When my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servants in this thing. Now the shocking answer shocking. Grace is always shocking. Grace is scandalous. Then Elisha said to him, go in peace. What? <laughs> go in peace? So he departed from him a short distance. Okay, so let's talk about that. First, what's up with this mule loads uh, of earth? Why, does, uh, why, doesn't, why doesn't Elisha correct him here? The answer, grace. Every new believer comes in with all kinds of, of um, baggage, twisted thinking, and this kind of thing. And this is just not a high priority. Listen, this guy wants to take back a couple mule loads of, uh, of the earth from Israel because he thinks there's something about the, the, the dirt in Israel. I'm not, I'm not going to... There's many other things that are the priority here, and that's not one of them. And so he says, go in peace. Don't worry. Go take your mule loads of, <laughs> of dirt and go back. But what about the second thing? What is up with this? So what, uh, what Naaman is saying here is that his boss, the king of Syria, goes into the temple, and I guess the guy's a cripple or something. It says that he leans on my hand. In other words, uh, Naaman has to give him assistance when he bows down. And because the king is bowing down and he's helping the king, he's going to bow down before this false god. And Naaman says, can you pardon me for that thing? And the answer is yes. Go in peace. All about grace. So if someone comes up to me, and I hope none of you have daggers in your hand, you're going to throw something at me if you disagree, and they get saved, they're radically saved, and they're filled with joy, just like Naaman is here, and then they come up to me after the service, and they say, you know, I, I got a problem. I, I work in a weed dispensary. People come and buy weed from me all day. I, I, and I got a wife and kids, and like, what am I going to do about that? I say, listen, don't worry about it. Go in peace. God will take care of that. You just get to know your God. You get to know your Lord. Begin reading the Bible. Or if they work in a bar where and are serving alcohol. Listen, God's going to take care of this. <laughs> I've seen this. Uh, it, it, they'll be there for three or four months. It's like, i got to get out of this place. 
and, and, and they'll go. But I don't want to be dealing with those issues at the beginning, particularly when I see their heart. Their heart is clearly to honor God. It's not to lay hold of sin. It's not they're, like they're going to be taking weed home and smoking it. Look, for the time being... You need to just cool out and you get to know God. I'm not talking about active sin. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about smoking weed itself. Hey, do I have to give up weed? Yes, you do. <laughs> but that's not what Naaman is asking here. He's doing something which I, you know, which I, it has all the appearances of sin, but it's just not something that Elisha, a burden of the law that Elisha is going to put on him. And that's what grace looks like. You know, it's, it's, it's a tragedy here because I've seen particularly older commentators, they really bash Elisha for this, um, this thing. I think it's a wonderful picture of grace. Now, God accepts us just the way they are. He doesn't let us stay that way. So God is going to deal with these things over time. Let's continue. But Gehazi, oh man, this is bad. Get ready for bad. Oh, talk about someone throwing mud on the Mona Lisa. That's what Gehazi does here. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Meaning he's going to secretly go get some of that gold. Now, how he doesn't, how he, why he doesn't conclude that Elisha's gonna, not going to know exactly what he's doing, there's only one explanation, and that is the deceitfulness of sin. I, I, I got to tell you, covetous, greed, sin will deceive you. Verse 21, so Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? Verse 22, and Gehazi said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garment. So flat out, bald face, lie. And he's even pulling, uh, he, he, he's even going to pull Elisha into it. So he's making up this lie. So, verse 23, so Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents. of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on him, carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. So he took this stuff from Gehazi and he go hides it. And again, he's basically dragging Elisha into this because he's, he's, a, he's more or less acting on behalf or seeming to act on behalf of him. When he came, um, verse 25, now he went and stood before his, Elash, uh, his master Elisha. Sorry. Now he went in and stood before his master, Period. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, oh, your servant didn't go anywhere. Verse 26, then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. So here you have this wonderful picture of grace. And it's, in a sense, muddied up. It's defiled. 
So Naaman's going to go back thinking, w w the risk of thinking, oh, I, I, I paid something for, for uh, I contributed towards my own salvation. And we don't know that, but there was certainly the risk of it. And, and I, I got to tell you, um, like we read in the book of Mark, we read this in the book of Mark, right? Where in the book of Mark, it says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the midst of the sea. It's a serious thing to take a new believer and do something that might or risk causing that new believer to stumble. And, and this is what... Um, this is what Gehazi does. And again, it, it really does show the deceitfulness of sin, the deceitfulness of greed, how we'll just be blinded. I mean, how he could not have known that Elisha was going to know exactly um, what he was doing. Notice at the end of verse um, 26, it says, he says, Elisha says to uh, Elisha says to uh, Gehazi, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? Olive groves, vineyards, sheep and oxen, male, female servants. In other words, we need to demonstrate that grace and salvation is free. And there should be no expectation of anything in return. Otherwise, it's adding to the cross. It's adding to salvation. It's adding to God's grace. And grace is getting what we absolutely positively don't deserve. And instead of a punishment, getting a reward. And so I don't know about you, but this just makes me fear the Lord. It makes me fear the Lord. I don't want to cause a new believer or an old believer, anyone, to stumble based upon my walk. And this is a serious chastening here. He left from his presence leprous as white as snow.